a factual data creation facility production. Welcome to the Straight From The Desk podcast, a podcast where I discuss but three things. Two are topical, while the last can be considered as flexible. So sit back and enjoy. If you like what you hear, click on that donation link, which can be found within the show notes. Any donation will be appreciated. So let's get started. How are you doing today? First up, well, it's that time of year for students to get their graduation caps on. Universities and colleges are usually the first up, and the ceremonies include a myriad of commencement speeches, with one of them usually given by some sort of celebrity, be it from Hollywood, the sports world, or politics. The biggest prize goes to the school that can snag the current president of the United States. So with President Biden's poll numbers sagging, even amongst the unfortunately dependable African-American demographic, of course, out of all the invitations Mr. Biden must have received for commencement speeches this year, his handlers picked Howard University, one of the oldest and respected African-American institutions in the country. Not only would this help his attempt to shore up those falling poll numbers, but Howard University is conveniently located in Washington, D.C. The elderly president wouldn't have to travel very far and would be well-rested before his speech. With the appropriate medication applied, the president seemed sharper than usual for the big commencement address. Before taking his turn at the graduation lectern, the president was awarded an honorary doctorate of letters. I guess it's all that Howard University could offer in lieu of the usual large speaking fee presidents, be it former or current, would normally command. As for the speech itself, it was basically a campaign speech tailored for this particular audience. Of course, the address was peppered with lies and statements that do nothing to unite this nation, something the president promised to do during his 2020 campaign and subsequent election. I'll point out some of those lies. To be nice, let's call them untruths and inflammatory statements, particularly one statement that is both a lie and inflammatory at the same time. Mr. Biden claims he was a professor at the University of Pennsylvania. Well, he did occupy a very well-paid position at that university, but did not teach a single semester. Eh, it's great work if you can find it. He then went on to the infamous quote taken out of context purposely by the Democratic Party and their media attributed to Trump. You know the one. There are very fine people on both sides. Uh, the rest of that quote is always omitted, which was, you had some very bad people in that group, but you also had people that were very fine people on both sides. See the difference? In the same interview, the former president went on to condemn the neo-Nazis and white nationalists, but that part is seldom or ever reported on. President Biden would then went on to deliver his most, well, at least in my opinion, divisive remark of the speech, quote, to stand up against the poison of white supremacy, as I did in my inaugural address, and to single it out as the most dangerous terrorist threat to our homeland is white supremacy, end quote. This statement, based on a percentage of active-duty military incidents blamed on white nationalism and not a nationwide fact, even in the military incidents, it was a percentage, and the number of incidents were, in fact, quite low. This most dangerous threat, unquote, exaggeration, reinforces the feeling many have of a war on Caucasian people, mainly straight Christian males, and is raging within our society as I speak. 
and to a point that is correct, saying and in some cases doing the vilest things to white male and posting it to social media is tolerated, while if the opposite is being done, it's immediately called hate speech, etc. Just look how white males are portrayed on television adverts and shows these days. The white male is usually portrayed as the stupid, goofy one or even as the evil criminal. But most of the mass shootings that have occurred recently have been carried out by people other than white males. The first news reports will blame white supremacy, and when it comes to light that it wasn't a white male or anything to do with white supremacy, the story all but disappears in the gun control advocacy calls take center stage. Heck, the last mass shooting in Texas that was perpetrated by a male of Latin descent claimed that he was himself a white supremacist with a faceless photo of a person with brand new Nazi tattoos displayed as evidence. The photo was supposedly posted by the murderer on a Russian, yes, Russian social media platform. I notice that this story has faded from the media. That's because the message was delivered to the numbed and dumbed down public that even though the man was of Latin stock, he was still a white supremacist. Can someone explain to me how that works exactly? All this statement and others like it accomplishes is to fuel the few white nationalists that do exist in this country and perhaps even give them more recruits. The final untruth I'll point out from Biden's speech here is, quote, the ongoing assault to subvert our elections and suppress our right to vote, unquote, is requiring a form of identification, subverting or suppressing people's right to vote. Minorities or the poor don't or can't obtain any form of identification. Is that what they're saying? It seems all but white college students know that this is not true. The only ones affected by the identification requirement are those who aren't authorized and shouldn't be allowed to vote in the first place. On the other hand, the allowance of mail-in voting and vote harvesting, which is what the Democratic Party pursues, are a means to subvert our elections. I'm sure digital voting will be the next thing pushed by the DNC. Unifying president and administration? I think not. Maybe this is the way the elites want it, the old divide-and-conquer thing. Next, the Durham investigation into the Trump-Russia collusion fiasco, which hobbled at least two years of the Trump presidency, finally concluded in the 306-page report didn't really reveal anything that many of us didn't already know. The accusation of a possible Kremlin campaign collusion was invented by the Hillary Clinton campaign as a way to counteract the WikiLeaks leak of her emails something WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange is still paying for. If you aren't familiar, then-Secretary of State Clinton decided to host her own email server in a closet of one of the family's mansions in order to conduct government business off the books, something which is highly illegal. Confidential and classified information was stored on that server, which was hacked numerous times by various intelligence agencies, Though the WikiLeaks files are thought to have been the result of an insider copying the files. Well, we'll never know for sure. An investigation by a DNC-funded opposition research company, Fusion GPS, was commissioned by the Clinton campaign and was assigned to a former MI5 officer who was pointed to a fellow pro-Clinton source to cook up a scandal. The friendly to the Clinton Federal Bureau of Investigation launched Operation Crossfire Hurricane and started spying on the Trump campaign. After this failed to prevent Trump from actually winning the election, the Steele dossier, as it was named by the news media, was used as a basis for investigations into the Trump presidency. I won't go into the contents of the now-debunked Steele dossier now, but you can easily find that online. 
The Durham report basically slammed the FBI, who knew even before launching their investigations into Trump that the sources of the info for the Steele dossier were unreliable and also knew that it was false. Well, they continued their investigations anyway, with what appears to be for the purpose of disrupting the Trump administration, which they accomplished. The good old mainstream news media ran with this narrative, reporting these allegations as fact, even after the much-vaunted Mueller investigation concluded that there was no collusion with Russia and the Trump administration. Now that the Durham report has been released, there are no mentions from the press that they had gotten it wrong and that their reports were false. Well, of course, they wouldn't accept responsibility for prolonging a discredited narrative and influencing those who are known as low-information voters. Well, COVID came and finished the job for the Trump resistance, though he almost succeeded in getting reelected despite the Steele dossier, Mueller investigation, two impeachments, and relentless attacks from a hostile press. But looking back on the 2020 election, well, the fix was in. This time, however, it was the intelligence establishment's turn to prevent the election of Trump. They did this by moving swiftly to stifle the fallout from the Hunter Biden laptop contents, again with help from the political operatives that disguise themselves as journalists, which this country's mainstream media is mostly populated with. I'm sure you recall the 51 former intelligence officials who signed a letter whose contents were dictated by the Biden campaign, claiming that they believe that the contents of the Hunter Biden laptop was most likely part of a Russian campaign to influence the election. Of course, the opposite has been proven true. The contents of the laptop were real, while the letter these officials had signed was false and did influence the outcome of the 2020 election. Now that Trump is ramping up his election campaign, what he called the deep state, I now believe rightly so, is throwing anything and everything they have at the man. Civil lawsuits, investigations into his business interest, individual states bringing charges against him. I could go on, but I'll just stop right here. Though I voted for Mr. Trump, I'm not really a big fan of his style. But what I do know is that during the Trump presidency, there were no wars, the pre-COVID economy was booming, and prison reform was enacted. Things not mentioned by the news media. This all causes me to wonder what the elites in business and government fear about Trump. My theory is that Trump threatened the corruption machine that our government appears to have become. I fear that with Wall Street, almost all forms of media, and the government all in lockstep, We'll just keep getting puppets like Biden elected, one way or another. While reading the news, I saw that despite Biden's favorability ratings are what they call underwater, polls show that Biden would defeat Trump or DeSantis if the election was held today. Now, I have to ask, does that make any sense to you? And finally, I have part two of how the old U.S. Customs Service is morphing into a federal police force and why it's a bad idea to have such an entity. Well, last week I told you about the old U.S. Customs Service that I originally joined and how effective this small force was at interdicting illegal drugs and protecting the revenue, the two main cores of the agency's mission. After the events of 9-11, the Customs Service was merged with the Immigration and Naturalization Service to include Border Patrol as well as Department of Agriculture inspectors. After receiving two pay grade raises, the now-renamed Customs and Border Protection's mission drastically changed. Because of our border search authority, we became the lapdogs for the FBI for a while, whose agents seemed to be on station daily. Eventually, the old U.S. Customs positions were manned minimally in favor of immigration positions. We were issued pepper spray and tasers along with the qualification on the M4 battle rifle. 
The immigration admission stamp became the most important thing a customs officer, now no longer titled inspector, possessed. And that's because if you wanted to earn overtime pay, you had to perform immigration duties. Slowly but surely, the customs functions were disbanded. No longer was customs able to collect enough duty or taxes to fund itself, and the green light was lit for the importation of illegal drugs. If you reside in the United States and wondered why narcotics have become so prevalent, well, there's your answer. Narcotics became dirt cheap because the market was and is flooded. Meanwhile, custom officers' training was ramped up to include mass shooting exercise, crowd control training, and more. Manning was greatly increased from around 500 customs inspectors to the near 2,000 customs officers now stationed at JFK. A special tactics team was formed akin to a SWAT team, along with a rapid deployment team able to deploy to any hot spots when needed. Even former police officers who were now working for customs would comment that the training was more intense and in a much greater volume than they had received when they were beat cops. A mandatory retirement age of 57 was instituted for the new hires who came on the job after 2006. Involuntary deployments to the southern border started in order to combat illegal immigrant surges. Do you recall the riots of 2020? Remember the battles with Antifa outside of federal buildings? Those defenders were mostly customs and border protection officers, reinforcing the sparse officers of the Federal Protective Service, whose total force numbers about 2,000 nationwide. Us old-timers quickly realized that we weren't in Kansas any longer, and no matter how many times we clicked our ruby slippers heels together, we weren't going back home to the way it was. U.S. legacy customs people didn't have a mandatory retirement age, and the agency just didn't like that. Around 2016 is when we were targeted by making life harder for us, Ulsters. Quarterly defensive tactic classes became progressively more difficult. I was often paired up with a man less than half my age on the mat, and luckily I never had to roll around with someone who thought it was all for real. Many older officers were injured during this type of training. Weapons qualifications became more difficult, and that's what finally caused me to throw the towel in. I developed arthritis in my left hand and could barely qualify by the time I retired. The current customs does not resemble the old customs at all. Customs has become a mobile federal police force and at the beck and call of Washington, D.C. Now, why do I think this is a bad thing? Well, while I was in the military, I was stationed in the Republic of the Philippines. At the time, they had a federal police force known as the Police Constabulary. This force worked directly for the country's Congress and were better equipped than the Philippine Army. Their reputation was bad, with many accusations of murder and corruption. Their headquarters was at an old Spanish fort named Camp Aguinaldo, just outside the capital of Manila. It was a very imposing building. I passed it by a couple of times going to Manila. One of the main targets of the 1987 coup attempt against the leftist administration of Cory Aquino, then president, was the infamous Camp Aguinaldo and was leveled by the Philippine army. Though the coup failed... Lessons were learned, and eventually the police constabulary was abolished to the benefit of all concerned. So you see, I've seen a federal police force along with their corruption in action, and I don't recommend we have one in the United States. What do you think? Oh, and before I go, where is the manifesto of the SSRI and testosterone-fueled Tennessee child murderer? And while we're at it, how about releasing the toxicology reports for all mass shooters? Well, that concludes this episode of the Straight From The Desk podcast. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed doing so. 
You can send comments, suggestions, or complaints to sftdpod23 at gmail.com. Take care, and I'll see you next week. Be safe out there.